Let me welcome you here to Big Valley Grace. Um, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we're glad you're here. Welcome to everybody over in the venue. Thank you, Pastor Jared, Pastor uh, Rich, for leading over there today. And if you're watching online, we're glad that you are with us. You know, it's always, uh, I'm asked this question a lot. Um, you know, I ever get nervous doing this? And the answer is absolutely. I always know what the last song is before I walk up. And man, my adrenal glands just go really, really crazy. See, I don't, I don't speak for God. He's already spoken. The tension, what makes you nervous is that I just wanna make sure I represent him accurately. And let me tell you, there's an unbelievable amount of pressure as it relates to that. That's why our brother James says, don't let many of you become teachers of the word because you will incur a stricter judgment. And it's always this weighty moment. Do I get nervous doing announcements or things like that? No, I got over that decades ago. <laughs> but man, when you get to this moment where I tell everybody to take their Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, is what I want you to do. It's a, it's a weighty moment, a weighty moment. So if you have a Bible, turn there, okay? First Peter chapter two. If you don't have a Bible with you today, all of the verses will come up on the jumbotrons. You can see them in your notes. And if you don't own a copy of the word of God, all you have to do is take a moment or two when we're done here in a little while and go into the altar room. There's an altar room over in the... Um, the venue, and we'd love to give you a, a, a Bible. We give out lots of Bibles, and you can pick one up uh, uh, to today, okay? We want you to read the Word of God for yourself. Um, I'm going to share a few verses before we get there, but I want you to have your finger in there. And um, today at the end, we'll spend some time remembering the Lord's life, His death, his burial, his resurrection, and his soon coming. We're going to end in a great way by uh, uh, having communion together. We're in a series here called Greater, Overcoming the Lesser Life, and I want to begin by sharing what has become kind of our theme verse for the series. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy that's what the enemy wants to do to your life. That's what the enemy wants to do to your family. That's what the enemy wants to do to your children. That's what the enemy wants to do to your parents. Just wants to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus said, my purpose is different. My purpose is to give them or you a rich and satisfying life. Beloved, Jesus came to rescue you from the thief. He came to rescue you from the demons. He, he came to rescue you from sin. And part of that rescue mission was to, to give you a new life, a rich and satisfying life, a, a life full of purpose, a life full of meaning and deep significance. It's the greatest life you could ever live. Paul put it this way in 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, anyone who belongs to Christ, anybody who's given their life to Christ, anybody who's surrendered their life over to Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you become a new person, the old life is gone, and a new life, a rich and satisfying life, a full life has begun. Obviously, we'll experience that rich and satisfying life, that full life, that new life, at a whole nother level when we get to heaven. There's no doubt about that. I think that's primarily what Jesus is talking about here. But make no mistake about it. God wants us to experience an unbelievable life right now, Christian, while we wait for the Savior to come or while we wait for us to draw our last breath down here on planet Earth. Here's the deal, though. This new life, this rich and satisfying life just doesn't happen automatically, does it? In other words, you, you can be a Christian and not experience this incredible life that Jesus came to give you this side of heaven. In fact, every day, uh, partly because of my vocation, if you will, I meet believers. I meet folks that have given their life to Christ who are living anything but a rich and satisfying life. They wake up in the morning and, and it, it's just a bummer, the life they, they lead. It's a, it's a boring life. It's a mundane life. And that's tragic to me. I think that's why I decided to do this series right after Easter. You know, you come and we celebrate Easter, this unbelievable moment when Jesus conquers death. And we've given our lives to this God who loves us so much. And then we live these meaningless lives. We, we don't get it. And so it's been my prayer that somehow this series would be used by God to help wake some of you up out of the stupor you're in. Because you are, you're in a stupor. Yeah, you're going to heaven. Yeah, your name's written in the Lamb's book of life and all that great stuff. I get it. <laughs> but a rich and satisfying life now you're just, you're just not experiencing that. And one of the things that'll help you is when you understand your position in Christ or how God sees you, which is what I'm gonna talk uh, about today. My goal is that somehow your spiritual eyes and ears would be open to, to the truth. See, the Bible talks about the fact that as believers, we, we have a different set of eyeballs than just these. We have a different set of ears than just these. The Bible says, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has eyes, let him see. And he's not talking about these things. There's a, a set of spiritual eyes and spiritual ears that you gotta kinda tune into if you're gonna live this greater life. 
And one of the reasons why we gather like this and we sing all of these songs and we do all that we do is that it gets our eyes off of all the junk down here and it gets our eyes on heavenly things so that when the word of God is proclaimed, you're better apt to hear what God wants you to hear. See the things that God wants you to see. It's my prayer often that I somehow when the words leave my mouth that before they ever hit your ears that the Holy Spirit would, would take them and do something with them. That you might not settle for the, the lesser life. Because God doesn't want that. And I don't believe you want that either. I remember going to the Stanislaus County Fair and they always had the, the fun house and you'd go in there and there'd be all these mirrors, these crazy mirrors that made you look taller than you were or shorter than you were or skinnier than you were or you know, wider than you were. Those mirrors gave you a, a distorted view of yourself that wasn't really what you looked like. The mirror uh, warped the, the image, if you will, I know for a fact that many of you grew up in homes where because of what was said to you by somebody in authority, it could have been your parents, it could have been a teacher, it could have been a good friend or whatever, it goofed you up. You have a distorted view of yourself. And unless you grasp a few basic thoughts about your position in Christ or how God sees you or what he wants you to know about yourself, you'll never be all that God desires you to be. Proverbs chapter 23 says, as he, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. In other words, when whatever you believe about yourself will determine to a great degree the way you're gonna live out your life. So it's super important to know what God thinks about you. You see, the Bible isn't like one of those fun house mirrors. The Bible doesn't distort anything about you. The Bible simply tells you the truth about you, which is why people don't want to read it. <laughs> it's one of the reasons why the government is taking it out of, I don't know, public education, the last thing human beings want is to know the truth about themselves. People want a distorted view. A view where they can just do whatever they want to do, live however they want to live, believe whatever they want to believe. In fact, we're living in such a time that everything is so distorted that things that are just evil are now presented as good. <laughs> That's distortion, man. That's a funhouse mirror. And things that are good and righteous and holy are now presented as things that are evil, you see. And Jesus said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And what's he talking about there? Is he talking about the truth that two plus two equals four? That's truth. Does that say, is that what he's talking about? No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. That's truth with a small t. Well, that doesn't set you free. Two plus two equals four. 
It's the truth of God's word that clears up any distortion that you might have about yourself. It's the truth of God's word that'll help you see yourself and your life more clearly. It's the truth of God's word that helps you understand sin and its impact on your life. Look, when you begin to read this, dude, it's brutal because of what it says about you, what it says about me. It's brutal. I understand why people don't want to read it. Doesn't make you feel good. There, there's no participation trophies. <laughs> there's, there's, no, there's no safe zone. Where do I go? There's not, there's not one. It's just brutal what it says about you and about me. It's the truth of God's word that helps you understand the weightiness of the cross, the weightiness of the resurrection. And ultimately, it's the truth of God's word that will help you overcome the lesser life you see, it's the truth with a capital T. This will set you free if you'll read it, know it, understand it, accept it, live by it. This will set you free. This will right here. For some of you, this gathering might be one of the most important gatherings in your entire life because we're going to look at you from God's point of view. Okay, and if you can grasp it, even just a small bit of what God says about you, it'll change your life forever. It really will. I guarantee it. So let's read our text. We're only going to read um, uh, two verses, okay? First Peter chapter 2. Now, Peter is writing um, to, um, well, these would have been people, churches, uh, in, in, in the Roman provinces of, of Asia Minor. Primarily, most of the people that would have read this letter would have been Jewish people. They would have been Jewish believers. When the church was first started, basically the church was made up of primarily Jewish people. Now obviously things have changed. But when Peter pins these words, the folks that were going to read it were Jews that had become Christians. Now, were there some Gentiles in the churches? Absolutely. But primarily, he's writing to Jewish people. And the language that he's going to use here, the Jew would have understood. This is language that Jewish people living at that time, or even Jewish people today, Orthodox Jewish people today will read this, and that's language that they would have understood. And I'm going to unpack it for us Gentiles today, okay? Peter says to us, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once 
you had not received mercy, but now you have. Now you have received mercy. And I'm going to stop right there. Now, I'm going to make five comments, and, 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 and this certainly isn't a comprehensive list of what God wants you to know about you. It's a pretty good one. Uh, and then at the end, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. And then we'll enjoy communion together and I'll trust that the Lord will do whatever it is he wants to do with um, our time here, okay? So according to these two verses, what does God say about you? What, what, what does God want you to know? Here's number one. God wants you to know that he chose you to be a part of his family. He chose you be a part of his family. And what that means is that you're, you're accepted by God. He's accepted you because he chose you. Verse nine, you are a chosen people. You see, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were the chosen people. The Jews were the chosen people. And now, here's Peter flipping this thing on its head. He's saying, that's the way it used to be. But today, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you are his chosen people. He chose you just as he chose the, the Jewish people. He chose you, Gentile. He chose you. Most of us spend our entire lives trying to earn acceptance. We want to be chosen. We, we want it from our parents. You want to be accepted by your spouse. You, you want it from the people you work with. You want it from your neighbors. Everybody wants to be accepted. Why? Because the desire to be accepted is deep, and it drives us to do all kinds of crazy things, doesn't it? It can influence the kind of clothes you wear, the kind of car you buy, kind of house you buy, even the career you choose. We love that feeling that says, look, somebody has chosen me. Somebody has accepted me. Let me give you a teenage fast fact, okay? If you got kids or you have a teenager or someday you hope to have kids, you got to write this down, okay? Here it is. The need to be accepted outweighs the need to do what is right. Write that down. The need to be accepted outweighs the need to do what is right. In the mind of an adolescent, they know what's right. They've been taught by their mothers, by their fathers, whoever it might be, grandma and grandpa. They know what's right. They've been to Sunday school. They know what's right, and they know what's wrong. They know what's God-honoring, and they know what isn't. They know what's evil, and they know what isn't evil. They know. They've been taught. But they also want to be accepted by their friends, by their peer group or whatever it might be. And so there's this dilemma that happens. I know what is right, 
but I want to be accepted. And the overwhelming majority of the time, I know what's right, but I want to be accepted. I know what's right, but I... Being accepted wins out. They know what's right. But that need to be accepted wins out most of the time. And this is true for many adults. We love that feeling of being accepted. Somebody chose me for an award or an honor. Somebody chose me, I don't know, for a promotion. Somebody chose me for some special opportunity or whatever it might be. Do you know how good it felt when Aaron chose me? That's not a big deal to you, but it was to me. You know why? Because I know I beat out a whole lot of other guys. And I might add a lot of younger guys. Just, <laughs> yay for the old guy, you know. Woo! Man, she could have chosen anybody she wanted. Do you know what? She chose me. Well, that's what I'm talking about. I was thinking about that this week. Hey, hey guys, look, I know most of you. You ought to be thankful you were chosen. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> just, you, you, you just forgot. You know, you, you know, you've been living in it so long now. You just forgot that, wow, man, you're right. Now that I think about it. That's a great feeling. Just know that you were chosen. It's one of the most euphoric feelings there is. It's good to know that someone chose you. On the other hand, being rejected is one of the worst feelings that a person can experience, isn't it? I had to make a horrible decision as the baseball coach, and some of my players are in the room. My wife can tell you this. We were hoping to have a JV team, and, you know, that's freshmen and sophomores, and, and, and we worked really hard, man. We were going into classrooms just grabbing anybody, man. And we play, and we had kids out there that never played. They had plastic mitts. I mean, it was just, it was, it was anyway, just give us nine guys. And... Um, in fact, we had one JV game where literally the varsity team, we took only nine guys to the game and so that the JV team would have nine. And it was just, man, whew. well, we had, a, we had a guy who couldn't make the team. He had to work on his grades and some other things, so we couldn't have a JV team, which meant I had to cut somebody. I was, I was sick about it. I was just sick. And the reason why I was sick is because I knew what it was going to do to a young adolescent boy. Ah, you know what? You get over it and you live and, you know. But at that moment, it's just a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing. And we're almost at the end of the season and I still think about it. My wife and I were just talking about something I'm going to do the other night because I'm just, I was just sick about the fact that these boys feel like they're rejected because I know it's a horrible feeling. Now, I want you to understand what I'm talking about here from a theological standpoint, okay? Jesus said this in John chapter 6. He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Okay, now that's what the Bible says. I want you to look at that. That's what the Word of God says. And nobody can come to Jesus. Nobody. 
unless the Father draws that soul to Jesus. And the reason nobody can come to Jesus unless God intercedes and draws a person to Jesus is because sin won't let you come to Jesus. Okay? Your sin and Jesus are like the opposite ends of a magnet. They're not going to be drawn together. Jesus went on to say this and. John 15, he said, you did not choose me, but I have chosen you. And the reason you did not choose Jesus is because sin wouldn't let you choose Jesus. It was impossible for you to choose Jesus. Sin that has infected you wouldn't allow it. The last thing your flesh wants is for you to choose Jesus. But there's another force at work besides sin that won't let you choose Jesus. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, the God of this age, Satan, and we talked about him last week, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot, they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. That's insightful, isn't it? Not only will sin not let you come to Jesus, not only will sin not allow you to choose Jesus, but the enemy has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so that they cannot see Jesus. But there's good news. <laughs> the one true living God is seeking after people. And he has the ability to open the eyes of those who have been blinded by sin and by the enemy. This is the beautiful thing about the gospel. Though people don't care about God, though people don't seek after God, though people are, are lost, God still cares about them. The reason why you're sitting here today, beloved, worshiping God is all because he drew you to himself. He chose you. He kicked the devil out of the way, if you will, and began to open your eyes to the truth of the gospel. He did it. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 19. He said, for the son of man, he's talking about himself, came to seek and to save that which was lost. Beloved, people are lost, totally lost. So if Jesus doesn't come and find us, we're all still lost. Nobody wakes up and says, I'm gonna seek God today. That's not how it works. God's the one who seeks. He does it. It's all him. I, I've shared this with you before. When it comes to salvation, your part is you do all the sinning. 
Jesus's part is he does all the saving. <laughs> I mean, that's just, you just cut right to the chase. That's it. All you do is sin. That's it. Because you can't come to him on your own. Now, what's my point in all this? I want you to understand that it's God who's doing all the seeking. It's God who draws people to himself. It's God who's after our relationship, not mankind, not you. This, this thought alone ought to revolutionize your life. The reason why you're not headed for a Christless eternity in a place called hell that was designed for the devil and the demons is simply because God made a decision and he said, you. I choose you. I'm going to send my son to seek after you. You're sitting here today because of what he did. Now, some of you might be out there going, well, hold on, you know, I don't know Jesus. I don't believe in Jesus. What does that mean? Has he not chosen me? I guess not. Bummer. I know he chose me. That's all I know, man. I, I, now, but, but let me tell you this. There are other passages in the Word of God that say that anybody, anybody, who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. The Bible says that for God so loved the world that whoever, whoever puts their trust in Jesus wouldn't perish, but they'd have eternal life. And so if you were to call upon the name of the Lord, I guess we find out that God chose you. <laughs> and if you choose do not want him, then I guess you weren't chosen. I just boiled down one of the most complex theological concepts. <laughs> Some of you are going, well, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I know it doesn't. I don't get it. All I know is it's all God. And the Bible teaches that. And I know that anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord is going to be saved. Well, how do those two things work? I don't know. They don't, work, they don't work in my brain, but somehow they work in his. And the good news is the Bible says that his thoughts aren't my thoughts and his ways aren't my ways, declares the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and yours and my thoughts than yours. There are some things we may not be able to figure out. All I know is this, is you're sitting here today and it had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with him. And that one thought alone ought to make you go, man, I don't want to live a lesser life. He chose me. He did. He did. Now, not only did God choose you, but number two, God wants you to know that you have direct and unlimited access to him. You can talk with God anytime you want. I'm going to stay in verse 9, okay? He says you are a chosen people. God just chose the Jewish people. He just made a choice. And the Bible says uh, it wasn't because they were the biggest, they weren't the strongest, they weren't the smartest. You know, they, I just chose them. Just chose them. 
and his sovereignty just chose him. And now we've been told that we, I just chose him. I just chose you. I just chose you. Mike, I chose you. I choose you. Hey, coach, I choose you. I got you. Hey, uh, I, I choose you. Hey, Lindsay, I choose you. Hey, I, I, I choose you. Hey, I, I, he just, just like he did the Jewish people, he just, his sovereign will moved and he chose you. And now he uses this other word here. He says, you're a royal priesthood. But he's not writing this to the Vatican. He says, you're, you are a part of a royal priesthood. And you are there serving the royal priest with a capital R. You, you are a part of a royal priesthood. Now, depending on your background, you know, this might be a scary thought or a confusing thought that God calls you a priest. I get it. Beloved, the priests in the Old Testament had access to God that the average person didn't have. Now, when you get to the New Testament after the death of Jesus, things change. God says that you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are now a part of his royal priesthood which means you now have the same access as the priest did in the Old Testament. I'm sure the, the Jewish people sitting in those churches, when they got this letter and they heard that, were going, whoa. Whoa. The Lord God, through the pen of Peter, is just turning everything upside down. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 5. He said, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we've been right, made right with God by our faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. Beloved, because you've made peace with God, you now have access to God. You don't have to go through a priest to get to God. You don't have to offer a sacrifice to get to God. You don't have to bring a goat or a bull or a pigeon or something and, you know, sacrifice him to, 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 to get to God. You don't have to work hard and be perfect to get to God. You personally can talk to God directly anytime you want about anything you want. His door is always open to you. Why? He drew you to himself. You're a part of his family now. And he says, hey, you got access. You can talk to me anytime you want. Just like the priest did in the Old Testament. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at, uh, at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Unbelievable. When you grasp this, you won't settle for the lesser life. You won't. 
When you understand that you can go to God and talk to God anytime you want. You don't have to come talk to me. You don't have to go into the altar room. Now, there's nothing wrong with talking to me or getting a group of friends to pray for something or going into the altar room and, and having the elders pray. Nothing wrong with that. The Bible says we ought to do that. But you personally have access to him because you're part of the royal priesthood. Now, let me tell you why this is important for you to understand. It's important because Satan likes to keep Christians in the dark about this great truth. A lot of Christians think, well, I'm not good enough to pray. I'm not good enough to ask God for anything. I don't deserve to ask God for a new job. I don't deserve to ask God to help me through this health crisis. I don't deserve to ask God for anything. I'm not good enough to have access to God. And if Satan can keep you thinking these types of things, you'll settle for the lesser life. You will. Listen to me. None of us are good enough to have access to God. None of us. We're bad people. We're very bad people. We're evil people. Some are more evil than others, but make no mistake about it. We're all evil. We're so messed up we don't, we don't even get it. But at the moment that you receive Christ into your life, Jesus makes you good enough yeah. to have access. Jesus is the one who does it. It has nothing to do with you and your PhD or, you know, what you grew up in America or you go to Big Valley Grace or whatever it is you think you, you know, makes you good. What makes us good enough to have access to God is simply Jesus. That's it. That's it. When, when our God, our, our holy God, our perfect and righteous and majestic God when, when he looks down at me, if all he saw was me, I, I, he's not listening. Sinful, crummy, human. But he doesn't see me. He sees his son in me. Hey, good, woo, good enough. What do you want? What's going on? Talk to me. You're one of my, you're one of my royal priests. Let's, let's, what you, what's going on? Talk to me. You got access. It's all Jesus. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 3, because of Christ, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. And certainly he's talking about heaven there. I don't worry about the day I take my last breath and there I am standing before God Almighty. Because I know God's going to see his son in me and he's going to go, wow, man, come on, man. <laughs> I chose you, man. You're, you're in. Come on. You're one of my kids. Bad day to stand before a holy and righteous and awesome God and you don't have Christ in your life. All you stand there with is your sin. That's a bad moment. And you'll have no excuse because God will remind you of a moment in 2017 when you were at Big Valley Grace and some preacher you were mocking told you about it. And you decided to do nothing about it. 
Because you love the darkness more than you love the light. You love the sin, don't you? You love it. I, I get it. I used to be there. I used to love my sin. I did. Number three, God wants you to know that you're one of his servants. And I'm going to stay right on that little phrase, a royal priesthood. The priests, the, the Jewish priests were the ones that served God in special ways. They did all the spiritual things that God wanted them to do. Now Israel temporarily forfeited this privilege because of all their sin and apostasy and wickedness and all that stuff. But here we have Peter telling us that in this present time, you Christian, not only did being a part of the royal priesthood give you access to him, but, but you're now his servants. You're now the ones who are on special assignment to do the things that God wants you to do, whatever those things might, might be. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 2, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Obviously, we're a part of the royal priesthood. God wants us to do the good works. We're his servants, and God prepared these good works for us as royal uh, priesthood to, in, well in advance. And that those two words, good work, to see them there in the text, those two words are basically the same as ministry or service. Now, I want you to see what I wrote in one of my, my Bibles, not this one, this one's a newer one, but I actually wrote this in my Bible, and I've showed this to you before, because I wanted to be reminded of this truth. It says, Rick, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, ministry, service. And let me tell you something. When you, when you get this, when you understand that you're a part of the royal priesthood, that God drew you to himself, that you have access to him, and then he says, listen, I, I got stuff for you to do, and when you engage in that, I don't know, you play in the band, you, you sing uh, in the choir, uh, uh, you, you, you teach children, you know, you mentor kids, you mentor uh, high school kids, you serve in the temple, so to speak, and you're engaged in ministry, wow, you won't settle for the lesser light. You just won't. There is something fantastic about just getting involved. And it doesn't matter what it is you're doing. What, what I'm doing here is no more significant than what Tim Miller was doing singing or somebody else was doing up here, you know, playing a guitar. We all have our thing to do, if you will, as one of God's royal priests. We're, we're, we're just all doing our thing. It's all for the royal priest. And you can think, well, you know, what I did was stupid. It was dumb. It had no value. You, you missed it. Man, if you were one of the priests in the temple and your job was to sweep it out, hey, man, you're keeping the temple clean. And you rejoice in that. Doesn't matter what you do. You're serving the king, you see. I told you this illustration before, but Gracie, my daughter, sitting down here when she was little, she didn't remember this. We had some mice in our, in our backyard, so we went out and put out some traps. And this is a long, this is a long time ago. I don't know. I don't know, 10, long time ago. 
And so she goes to bed, and I went and got a flashlight to go and, you know, see if I caught anything. And I pick up a flashlight, you know, nothing. I'm hitting nothing. I'd probably bought the things to prepare for Y2K, remember that? And, uh, and so I go and I, I grab another flashlight, nothing. I got nothing. I got, I got nothing. And, uh, and it's because the batteries that were in there were there since Y2K. And I never used the thing. And so you open the thing up and the batteries are all corroded. And the reason why they were corroded was batteries are meant to be used. They're, they're full of juice. They're full of energy. And when you don't use it, they corrode. God drew you to himself. His Holy Spirit invaded your soul. You have access to him. He, he made you a royal servant to serve. And the reason why some of you are settling for the lesser life, or let me use this word, the reason why some of you are corroding is because you're not using the energy that's within you. You're just not. Now let me tell you something. When you really get this, when you really understand that you have a role to play in God's economy, it'll, 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 it'll change your, your life. Jesus said this in John or Mark chapter 10. He said, for even the Son of Man, talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I think those two little phrases, serve others and give my life, best might summarize the Christian life. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And unless you learn how to serve others and give your life away, you're never going to be like Jesus. You, you may know all the Christian doctrines. You may be able to rattle off all 66 books of the Bible. You may have all kinds of chapters memorized in the Word of God, but unless you learn how to serve others and give your life away, it doesn't mean a thing. You're just a, a person with a brain that has a lot of data in it. And I think that describes too many believers. Nothing wrong with having the data. You need the data. You need the stuff. Maybe the greatest thing that could happen to some of you is you leave here today and you go, okay, that's, this is it. I'm going to get involved. I'm calling the church. I'm calling up Scott. I'm calling up Tim. I'm calling up Miller, Scott Miller. I'm getting involved. I'm, I'm, I'm doing something. I'm, I'm going to get involved. My, my batteries are corroding. Guarantee it. Change your life. Number four, God wants you to know that you're very valuable to him. Verse 9, you're a chosen people, you're a royal priesthood. And then he says, you're a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And here's the deal. Because you belong to God, you're worth something. In fact, you're worth a lot. Now, I'm not talking about your net worth. I'm talking about your self-worth. Your net worth and your self-worth are two different things. Don't ever confuse your, your valuables with your value as a person. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12. Look at the ravens. Look at the crows. They don't plant or harvest or sort food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, God paid a high price 
for you. For you. Look, there was a, a moment when all there was was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. There was perfect unity. Unity like we've never experienced because sin has tainted any unity we might experience. They were in perfect love. The, the Trinitarian love was absolutely perfect. We've never experienced that kind of love because sin has tainted all of our relationships. I'm not saying we haven't experienced love, but we've never experienced love like there is in the Trinity. The, there came this moment, I don't know how it all went down, but they decided, let's make human beings in our image. And they did. And so we're made in the image of God. And then human beings rejected God. We blew off God. We sinned against God. Adam just made this horrible mistake and it brought sin into the world. And now this holy and awesome and righteous and majestic God could never allow sinful people into his presence because he's also a God of justice. And I don't know how this went down. But there comes this moment when, I don't know, God the Father looks at his son and says, hey, you gotta go down there because those are made in our image and they're valuable to us. And so the son leaves heaven and he comes down here for you. You. That's how valuable you are. You don't add anything to God in the Trinity. You add nothing to him. He does not need you. There's that great line in Jerry Maguire, you know, you complete me. <laughs> you don't complete God, as special as you think you are. You don't add anything to his being. Nothing. Not a thing. And yet, there was this moment where Jesus, well, uh, Paul put it this way in Philippians he said that Jesus humbled himself and became nothing. When he became a person, God wanted you to understand something. He became nothing. How does that make you feel? When Jesus came here as a human being, he says it was like I became nothing. God compared to us is like nothing. It would be like us becoming a cockroach. And you go, ooh, I wouldn't want to become a cockroach. It was worse for God to become one of you. Worse. But he did it because you're valuable to him. <laughs> that doesn't make your head explode. I, I, I don't know what will. 
And you really understand that, how valuable you are to him, that you belong to him? You won't settle for the lesser life. You won't waste your life chasing after. Uh, we used to live in a complex, uh, it was a, on veranda, had a house. And I remember once uh, my daughter had a, you know, the thing where they blow the balloons, you know, the soap thing. And was blowing the balloons, the bubbles, you know. And she would run after it and she'd catch one, you know, daddy, daddy, daddy. And she'd blow another one, catch it, daddy, 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 look what I got here. Daddy! That's what some of you are doing as adults. You're chasing after bubbles! And you think you got something! And there comes a moment when you open your hand and you go, I was settling for something. That's just nothing. I thought that this was, 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 was better. This, this, this was going to be better than being a royal servant. And some of you, you've been hanging on to something for years, maybe decades, and you think you got something, and God brought you here today so that you'd open your hand and go, I don't really got anything. Oh, you may have a lot of stuff. But you got nothing of eternal value. Because you haven't been investing your life in Things and you don't understand how valuable you are. And, and number five, God has forgiven all your sins. In verse 10, he says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, there was no mercy. You, you had no mercy given to you, but now you have received mercy. The Bible says, At the moment you gave your life over to Jesus Christ, God poured out his mercy upon you. Let me tell you something that I think is really sad. There are lots of Christians out there, I don't know, maybe you, who think that whenever a problem comes up in their life, the first thing they think of is that God's getting even with them. They get some sort of problem in their life, something goes haywire in their life or their family, and they immediately think that God's ticked off with them. This is his way, you know, of getting back at me. And that just shows your immaturity, and I get it. Because the God who's revealed between these two leather-bound covers here doesn't do that. Amen. Your parents may have done that to you. You may have, may have friends who get back at you. But that's not the God who's revealed in this book. The great prophet Isaiah said, I, yes, I alone will blot out all your sins for my own sake, and I will never think of them again. King David said, I have removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. Look, when God forgives you of your sin, he doesn't, you know, bury the hatchet and leave the handle up. <laughs> hey, Mark, I forgave you, but you mess around, and I'm ready! I'm ready to thump you. And then when something goes haywire in your life, you do something dumb, something crazy happens, you say, 
God, he forgave me, but he left the handle up, and now he's just beating me over the head with the thing. Let me tell you something. If that was the God that was revealed in this book, I wouldn't be up here right now talking to you. I wouldn't. I'd be cowered in a hole somewhere, hoping and praying that he didn't get mad at me. He forgave all of your sins. The Bible says in Romans, there's now no condemnation for those of you that are in Christ Jesus. Look, when he chose you, when he began to draw you, he was quite aware of the fact that you were goofed up with sin. He, he knew that when he chose you and he said, I want you to be a part of my royal priesthood. I, I'm going to give you access to me. I want you to be one of my servants. Hey, you're valuable to me. He knew you were going to sin. He knew. And yet he chose you anyway. Come on. Thank you. I want you. As I wrap this up, let me, let me just share with you this verse. It's the most famous verse in the Bible. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. And let me just say this. Let me tell you what this verse doesn't say. It doesn't say God so loved people who are beautiful. God so loved people who are intelligent. God so loved people who are cool. God so loved people who are religious. God so loved people who are perfect. It didn't say any of that. It says that God so loved the world. And that means you. I don't care what you've done, I don't care who you did it to, and I don't care where you did it. God loves you. He chose you. He made you one of his royal priests. You belong to him. He poured out his mercy on your life. So here's your homework assignment, okay? I want you to take these five statements, okay? God wants me to know that he chose me to be a part of his family. God wants me to know that he gave me unlimited access to himself. God wants me to know that he made me one of his servants. God wants me to know that he sees me as very valuable. And number five, God wants me to know that he forgave me of all my sin. I want you to take those. And every morning when you wake up, I want you to read those five things. Before you go to bed at night, I want you to read those five things every day this week, okay? And I'm gonna make it super easy for you. If you're a member of our church, every month I send you a member's resource. I send you an email telling you, kind of recapping last month, and I tell you some things that are coming up this month, and then I send you a resource, something you can download, something that you can make into a, a you know, a put in a frame or whatever it might be, and you have to be a member of the church. And this month we took these five things, and it's the member resource, and uh, we kind of made it into something kind of cool and neat. You can download it. You can make it small. You can put it on a mirror in your bathroom, guys, when you're shaving and look at it and just say those five things. You can take it with you to work. You can slip it inside your Bible. Lots of ways you can use it. So when you get that member resource, it's going to go out tomorrow. Just click on, if you're a member, and there it is. And you can make as many copies of it 
as you want and do whatever you want to with it, but that's your homework assignment, okay? Right now over in the venue, Rich is going to lead you through the time. Uh, Pastor Rich is through the time of communion, and I'm going to ask Pastor Tim if he would come up here right now, and we are going to enjoy remembering all that the Lord has done for us. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for just these two verses and how rich they are. Lord, may this time now be just a great way to wrap up what we're doing here today, and I pray this in your name. Amen. 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 I'm going to ask the communion team to go ahead and come forward, and uh, they're going to go ahead and pass the elements out, the bread and the juice, and I want you to just uh, to take them and hold them. Don't, um, don't consume them just yet, but just hold them, and I'm going to lead us through a, just a, a time to remember. What was taking place was Jesus had gathered the disciples and they were being, they got together in a room to, uh, to have a Passover meal together. And they were going to remember what God did. They were going to remember what the Father did to, to save the people of Israel, to pull them from Egypt. They were going to remember his great provision throughout the years. They were going to remember his great power and his great mercy. And it came time for them to eat and this is what began to happen. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He was literally preparing them for the greatest sacrifice that he would make. It would be the one that allowed all that Pastor Rick talked about today to take place. He was going to sacrifice his body and his blood to cover our sins and to rescue us from the penalty of those sins, to rescue us from death and to give us life. He was about to do that. And just as they were remembering the Passover, he was giving them this symbol the bread which would represent his body, the juice which would represent his blood, to remember for all times that which was done, that which was done so that we could live as the chosen people, the royal priesthood, the ones who have great value, serving and giving our lives to the Lord, living in forgiveness, that that's the life we would be able to live. So we would remember. Now, Paul, as he was talking to the Corinthians, they were getting all crazy with it. They were just gathering and, and eating and having these great fests, and they were forgetting to remember. They, were, they didn't bring that as part of them. They weren't treating it as a holy moment of remembrance. And so Paul said to them, whenever you take this bread and whenever you drink of this cup, you remember what the Lord did. And he got to the end of his time of talking, of talking about this with the Corinthians, and he said this. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We're supposed to remember. It's supposed to be a meaningful moment for us. It's supposed to be a time where we say, yes, Lord, you are my God. And I am not. Yes, you sacrificed everything for me. Thank you, Father. Maybe it's a time where you need to do a little business with the Lord. Maybe it's a time where there's confession that needs to happen. Whatever it is, it's a time that is special. 
and it's meant to be between you and the Lord as you acknowledge and remember what he did. Pastor Scott and Pastor Tim and the worship team are going to lead us in a few songs. And whenever you are ready, take the, take the elements. Whenever you have remembered and examined and are ready to rejoice, then you take the elements at any time. Father, thank you. Thank you for the great gift you've given us in this remembrance. That you sacrificed your body and your blood that we could live and live forever. That there would be great forgiveness for our sins. That your mercy and your grace would overwhelm us. And your love would pour out upon us. Thank you. And this morning, Lord, we remember and we are grateful. In your name we pray. Amen.